I don't know if I told you all this before. Did I tell you all that Pastor Carl actually named our church? Okay, so I pastored a church called Agape Christian Fellowship Center uh, for 15 years, 12 years. And the pastor I co-pastored with, Doug Miller, pastored a church called Hope Lighthouse. And so we spent a year praying, talking about merging our ministries. And our, our, we attended other services, our leaders met, our boards met, our whole congregations met. We took a vote. It was unanimous by both congregations that we merged. Then we had this problem. We had no idea what to call the church. Well, like, we noticed this guy, we believe this guy, but we don't know what to call it. And, uh, you know, we kind of labored over that because we had agreed like in September and, uh, you know, like we were like, okay, October, we don't know. November, we don't know. So we we're going to merge January 1. It was like, we don't know what to, call, we don't know the name of this church yet. And so we were in a pastor's group, um, a John 17 group with uh, Pastor Carl at the time. And um, we we're talking about, it's like, you know, we still don't know what to call this church. And he said, well, you know, you guys always talk about, you know, uh, you have a heart for the city. Why don't you just be city heart? It was like, I think that'll work. And so he actually is a person that named our church, uh, City Heart Ministries. And we are, uh, uh, we're church, two churches emerged together. We're in our fourth year. Uh, thank God for that. We're a, a, thank you. Amen. Uh, we are a, a diverse church. Uh, we're racially diverse. We are, uh, we're diverse in music. We're diverse in uh, just about anything you could imagine. We're grateful for that. Um, and it's been a blessing. It's a challenge, but it's a blessing. And people, I say, well, how does it work? And when I say it works because people want it to work. And that's like most things in life. They work because we decide they're going to work. Uh, and so we're really uh, grateful for that. I'm grateful to be here. Our church is located, uh, if you know Muskegon Heights at all, it's four square, uh, just under four square miles. And the city hall was a planned city. So the city hall sits at the exact center of the city. We are right next to city hall. In uh, my history, I used to be the city manager for, I spent 12 years as city manager of Muskegon Heights, uh, and so I'm just next door <laughs> where I used to be. Uh, so we're thankful to God for where we are and the ministry he's called us to. A few of you all will pray with me and I will get into my message today. Father God, we're just so grateful for the word of God. Thank you, God, because your word is infallible. God, your word is error free. So I pray, God, that you would just remove my thoughts and my inabilities and my limitations, God, and allow your word to do the work you intend for it this morning. I pray for the hearts and minds that are open and spirits to receive what you have for your people today. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. The title of my message today is A Redemption Story or Your Redemption Story. Um, and the outline for the message is taken from um, a study on 1 Peter. Um, it's titled, um, A Study on First Peter, the First Letter of Peter by Francis Dixon. And Francis Dixon was considered a gifted evangelist and Bible teacher in England in the early 20th century. Um, he was supposedly renowned for his warm and convincing manner in which he presented the gospel. And in this letter in First Peter, he makes three clear statements concerning the fact and significance of the death of Christ. Uh, the first statement he talks about in, uh, is that Christ's death is sacrificial in nature. And that's found in uh, uh, 1 Peter 2.24. The second statement he says is clear there is that uh, Christ's death is substitutionary. 
The nature of Christ's death is again that he took our place. And then the third uh, significant point he raises from 1 Peter, which we're going to talk about a little bit today, is found in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. And there he talks about the redemptive nature of Christ's death. Um, like any good sermon, you got to throw a couple of definitions out or you're not worth your weight in ministry goals. So um, that word redeem or redemption is translated from several different words, and it means to go to market, to purchase, to ransom, to buy up, uh, to rescue, or to loosen. If you just summarized it, you say that word redemption just means to buy back. To buy back. And so, um, we know, we should know, the whole human race once belonged to God. And Adam was his head. Um, we know about the sin in the Garden of Eden. And because of Adam's sin, the whole race was removed from under God. Taken captive. It tells us again in Romans 5, uh, through one man's sin, sin entered the world. And death by sin. And then we go on to Romans uh, 7. It says, so it was that all mankind was sold under sin, given away because of sin, let go, taken captive. So we're taken by sin. But thank God, there was a need and a plan to redeem us, to get us back, to buy us back. And that's exactly what God did when he sent his son to die on a cross for our sins. The idea was to redeem us. To get us back. So at Calvary, the sin problem that separated us uh, from God was settled. It was effectively and eternally settled. It tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he, made, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. So the price is paid for our sin. God now sees us as righteous. Now, when you think about uh, this idea of buying back, and, and we deal with this idea of redemption. So now I'm a, I like reading uh, detective novels. Um, if you ever heard of Robert Parker, I'm a, I'm a Spencer character. I read all of those. Uh, James Patterson, Alice Cross series. I'm almost current. I got one on my nightstand to finish off now. And then my, my current favorite is a guy named Walter Mosley. If you've ever heard of uh, his Easy Rollins character. So I like these detective stories. Um, not only have I seen every episode of Law and Order, um, I usually, when I watch reruns, I start remembering how many lines I can repeat of people's lines in the episodes. But there, in any good detective story, don't, don't care how far back you go with your detectives. You know, you, if you go back to Sam Spade and all those guys, um, if you go back to, there's always a kidnapping, right? Every, so every detective, eventually, you're going to get involved in the kidnapping. So, through my expertise in reading these novels, I can share with you four elements in every kidnapping. There's always the plan, right? There's always the plan of um, how we're going to get this person back, right? You know, what do they say first? Don't call the police, 
They always tell you that. Don't call the FBI. And then somehow the police or FBI find out. First, they always bring their own guy in. Their own guy to know what he's doing. They say, no, we've done this before. So there's always this plan to get the person back. And then you always get this little plot twist because you think it's just a kidnapping for money. And then there's a plot twist, right? You find out there's the guy who used to work for the company that's angry or there's the guy, you know, there's um, the kid was actually, that's the actual birth father. There's always some little twist when you find out the purpose of the kidnapping. You find out it's, not, it's more than just money. There's more to it. So it's not just going to be a simple drop the money off, drop the person off. There's a twist. So it, every kidnapping has a purpose. As my brother-in-law would say, they're often crimes of passion. <laughs> then, there's always the ransom, right? There's always got to pay a price. There's going to be something. You know, so there's always the ransom. And they always say, it doesn't matter how much it is, we'll pay. And, they, and the police or detective always says, well, yeah, but there's more to it. You know, and then, you should notice fourth one now, if you've watched any of these, what's the thing, before you pay the money, there's a thing you always ask for. What is it? Somebody should know this now. Thank you. Thank you. We will compare notes after service. There you go. <laughs> I knew somebody. Knew. So you always got to have proof of life, right? And you always, they always say this. There better not be one hair on their head uh, damaged or you'll hear from me or something like that. So we got, there's a plan, there's a purpose, there's the price, the ransom, and there's a proof of life. Now I want you to think about your own redemption. There was a plan, there was a purpose, there was a price, and there was proof. In 1 Peter 1.20, it says, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these latter times for your sake. So in the Old Testament, uh, they didn't really have a real idea who Christ, this Messiah, they prophesied about, but they wasn't sure who this Messiah was and what he was going to do. Oh, there was hints here and there in the Gospels and those prophecies, and, but they weren't sure. But now in these times, we are absolutely sure who Christ is and what he came to do. And we know that those of us, mankind that was taken captive, what we know now is that he came to redeem us. God had a plan. His plan, in fact, he was giving us hints of it, how he's going to get us back, even back in Genesis 3. When he told the serpent, he's going to bruise your head. He said, the seed of man. And so God always had a plan. Sometimes, you know, the kidnapping happens in page 10. And we don't get the captive free sometimes until you don't know how it's going to happen. Page 400. If you read, a, I can think of the novel's not a die, but his novels will be eight, nine hundred pages. And sometimes he just, it's like, man, I can't take this, <laughs> you know. But you're like, how, is this, how are they going to pull this off? And so uh, God always had a plan for our redemption. Now, you're probably not like me. I wasn't born a pastor when I was five and six. And when I was a teenager and in my early 20s, I wasn't quite living like a pastor. They have done a lot of stuff. Some of it we're never going to talk about. But even then, when I didn't know, God had already laid out a plan for my redemption. 
for all of us. It's a wonderful thing. And so he always had a way, he always intended to get us back. Now there's always, not only do we find out when we're redeemed, but we find out something else <clears throat> about our redemption. We find out that God just didn't redeem us because we're so beautiful and we look so good. The scriptures tell us that uh, he brought us back from the enemy. He translated us. He cleansed us. He's taken us to heaven. Uh, but in 1 Peter 1.18, it gives us something else. It says that uh, he redeemed us from the old, empty, worthless behavior of our old, unregenerate life. Now, we don't call it that. We just say past. We don't have to add all those adjectives to it. <laughs> so, you know, I was just or something else before. But the scriptures call it our old, empty, worthless behavior of our old, unregenerate life. And really, that's how we ought to think about it. Once we come into contact with God's goodness, that's really how we think about our past. Well, I knew that was gonna happen. I planned that. <laughs> okay. And so that's really how we think about our past. Is that it was worthless, it was unregenerate, it was empty. But he tells us that God was eager to make us his own people. In fact, what we find out is that uh, uh, God redeemed us for a specific purpose. It tells us in, in uh, Ephesians 2.10 that he... That, uh, God saved us for good work. The third thing we know is getting the ransom, right? The price. And what does it tell us? That the price for our redemption, the payment, was the precious blood of Christ. Think about our loved ones that we love so much, but we know they just haven't gotten it yet children or our grandchildren or our, our family members or people we know that we love them with everything in us and what we would not give up to have them just understand the life Christ intends for them. I remember, I remember something years ago that broke my heart. I was talking to a, a guy I worked with. He was, this mother had lost her son to drugs and she said if prayer she said, if prayer and love had kept my son here, he'd still be here. But what brings us from that old life and brings us out of it, it doesn't take our money. It doesn't take our love because we love people. It doesn't take anything less than the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing else could do it. In fact, they tried, didn't they? They tried goats and cows and the best of everything. And it still was not sufficient. But it took the blood of Christ. You know what happens when uh, they drop off the ransom, right? You got to check it. Because sometimes what they do, they put fake bills on the bottom. Got to make sure they don't put a tracker in there and follow you around. You've seen these shows. So, you know, you got to make sure, you know, a couple of hundred so on the table. I don't know if you've heard these to call it. A, I heard them call it a Chicago bankroll. And you take a you take a hundred on the outside and just paper in the middle, 
and put a rubber band on it. And they call it Chicago, I don't know what they call it, but they call it, they call it Chicago bankroll because it was fake. And so it's the same thing when they get that suitcase of money. You go, ah, oh, this might not, you know, it might not be sufficient, you know. And the guy goes, eh, it feels like a million dollars. He's like, oh, that guy really knows money, <laughs> right? But it took the blood of Christ. What a price. Look how much God values us. One comedian said, he said, he said, if the kidnappers take my kids, I'm not going to pay a dime. He says, after about a week, they'll bring them back. <laughs> this ain't going to cost me nothing. Think about this. It took the blood of Christ, but yet in Titus 3, 5, he says, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's why we have to be so grateful. We know what we were. We know what we could be. Except that that price was paid. And then there's the proof of life. Again, I've seen a lot of these stories. We're going to have one of the detectives put a wig on, put on the coat he's about the same size, and not be the real person. Now, they try everything, you know. Um, they don't release the real person, you know. Or the person they're releasing, they get halfway there, they shoot them in the back. I, I've seen them all. You know, so the last thing, when you pay that price to kill you want to make sure that you're getting what you paid for. That the person that you paid to get free is free. You know, there's a real us. There's a real us that we really don't find out about until we allow Christ to redeem us and set us on a pattern to become the real person we're supposed to be. And so, uh, Dixon talks about three proofs. He talks about there being historical proof of, our, proof of our redemption. And he says that historical proof is the fact that we know Christ the Redeemer was revealed over 2,000 years ago. So we have proof. He said there's factual proof. The factual proof is not only that Jesus Christ came, but we know redeemed because he rose again. We know about the power of the resurrection. And then the third thing he talks about is the experimental proof. And it says, through him we believe. We believe in something real. We believe that he really rose. He really died for our sins. That our life is really redeemed. Not only do we believe that. We believe that unto death and beyond. It's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a fantasy. We believe. And so that proves our experience to you. You know there's tremendous significance in the names that we give our Lord. 
In Genesis, he's a woman suffering. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the atoning sacrifice. In Numbers, the bronze snake. In Deuteronomy, the promised prophet. And in Joshua, the commander of the Lord's army. In Judges, he is our deliverer. In Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, he's the promised king. In Ezra and Nehemiah, he is the restorer of nations. Esther, we know him as the advocate. And in Psalms, he's the all in all. And, and the prophets called him the prince of peace. But then there's Job. There's Job. And in chapter 19, Job said, I know that my redeemer lives. He says, and at the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet my flesh will see God. I myself will see him. And with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. We weren't just redeemed to be redeemed. God redeemed us with a plan for our life. Not just a plan to redeem us, but he redeemed us because he said he saved us for good work. And so we're grateful. We're glad to God. We know what the unregenerate life was. And we don't have to do. We get to do. We don't have to worship. We get to worship. We don't have to love. We get to love. We don't have to forgive. We get to forgive. Because he set us completely free. I always say this about the freedom that we have in Christ. It takes a lot of work to decide that you don't like people because of the color of their skin. Because that means you can come into contact with all kind of nice people. And you got to decide for some reason I don't like them. It takes a lot of work to decide I don't like women. Or I don't like tall people. Or I don't like people with southern accents. That, that's a lot of work. Because sometimes you say, man, I got to figure out why I don't like this person. But because Christ has set us free, you know what? I can like anybody from, I can love people just because I want to love them. Instead of putting all the work into not loving them and not liking and, and doing evil to them. It's like, I'm, I'm just free. You seem to like everybody. Yeah, I love everybody. But what about the people that do stuff? Well, I, I let God handle them. He, you know, he, can, he can put way more work in than I can. He can work 24-7. I got to get some sleep. <laughs> so he's made me free. See, the, th the thing about sin is sin kept us so conscious about what we're doing right and doing wrong. Of course, we were doing most of it wrong. But sin just kept us thinking, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. Is this the right offering? Am I saying the right thing? Am I wearing the right clothes? You know, am I going to surface at the right time? And we, what we kept seeing is we're never good enough. We're never going to measure up. And then God comes and sets us free and says, you don't have to be under that anymore. You like pink, wear pink. You like blue, wear blue. You like to smile, smile. You don't want to smile, don't smile. But you can be free. You have to be conscious. Don't be under that weight. So I thank God today that he saw fit. That he had a plan. That he paid the price. And he redeemed me. And he redeemed you. Amen.
God bless you all.